Welcome to Teach Musically, the music studio teacher's guide to business and pedagogy solutions. My name is Michelle. And I'm Leanne. Today's episode is a reflection of our teaching, both past and present. With experience comes wisdom, and over our years of teaching, we have learned what does and does not work for us in terms of teaching style, studio policies, and our overall teaching philosophies. We'll also discuss how we came to understand the importance of work-life balance to avoid burnout and how we can be the best version of ourselves for our students. Let's start off with studio policies. The first time we got introduced to the concept of a studio policy was in our undergrad piano pedagogy class. I remember we were assigned to create a policy, but having had little teaching experience, I feel like I kind of made it up. Since I've begun actively teaching, I've learned through trial and error which policies work well and which don't. Now I update it yearly to reflect any changes or issues that come up repeatedly. Michelle, how different is your first policy from the one that you're using now? And what are some of the main things you've changed? The contents in my first and current studio policy actually haven't changed too much. Because I got to experience various studio policies and payment methods because I went through many teachers growing up, I had a much clearer time deciding what I wanted right off the bat. So I've always done advanced monthly payments where the lesson fees were due at the first lesson of each month. And any small adjustments that I made in my studio policy included the amount for the late fee penalty and more clarity as to what circumstances I allow for makeup lessons. Recently though, I did have to add in a section for online learning. What about you, Leanne? Yes, I've always done the monthly payment, which has worked really well for my studio. I've also implemented late fees like you, which I've had to make a little bit more harsh, but I am a little bit scared to actually enforce it. Uh, Right now in my policy, I have it at $5 per day if you're late, Um, but I just kind of want to live a peaceful life so and not have any parents get mad at me. So luckily, most of my families do pay on time. I've only ever had to use it once or I used it once for a family who paid late for probably over a year. So I finally went for it and I put a $15 late fee and I was so scared to send the invoice. So I sent it and then the mother emailed me back and she wrote, is this because I paid late? And then I was like so panicked. What do I say? And then I just emailed back. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) You should have just put that in like the email title description. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So then she paid it and then she was paid on time after that. So I guess it worked, but it was scary. Oh, it's, it's absolutely terrifying. I've also had like my share of that. And to maintain good client relationship and avoid conflict, the late fee penalty can be really effective as a first line of defense in avoiding that conflict. Mm-hmm. But when that defense falls, it's so scary. You really have to decide whether or not you want to engage. Yeah. Um, one time I had to charge a late fee to a student's parent and they called me saying that they never knew there was a late fee. But luckily, I make every client of mine sign the studio policy, saying that they read, they understand, and they abide by the policy. And this parent did sign the policy, and I've had an email trail of over three instances that I reminded them that there is a late fee penalty, but I never really enacted upon it until that particular month. Mm -hmm. So they told me that they still didn't know, and they felt like they didn't deserve being penalized. So I thought that was, like, really stupid because... Obviously, you signed the studio policy, and I've told you more than three times in this email trail, so you cannot deny that. Anyways, I did my best to handle the situation professionally and as compassionately as I can because it was also near Christmas, but they were so emotionally charged that I didn't think I could have de-escalated further, and it was just really stressful. But in the end, they did end up paying that late fee, and they haven't uh, missed a payment since, which is nice. Okay, so I guess in the end it worked and they got over it. I guess they maybe just felt caught off guard, which they shouldn't have because 
it's in your policy. Another thing that I've become more strict on is my makeup lesson policy. Me too. I was getting a little bit frustrated that students were asking to reschedule for all kinds of reasons like family trip, a school event, things like that. So I've laid it out now very clearly in my policy. First, they have to give at least 24 hours notice and it has to be for a legitimate reason. So I actually put in my policy what I consider a legitimate reason, which is something like a family emergency, an illness, or a really severe weather. And I also list all of the reasons that I will not give a makeup lesson. So that would include birthday parties, extracurricular activities, a family vacation, things like that. Yeah, I have been just as clear as you in order to avoid having to reschedule lessons because if you have a full studio, it can get really difficult to just try to slot them in or make extra time for them and it can become pretty frustrating yeah so it is really essential to be clear about what type of teacher you are how you run your studio and the expectations you have for your students from the very very beginning agreed i also like to include expectations about practice right from the very beginning and i'm very specific about the timings depending on their age and their level Overall, it seems like both of us have learned that it's important to be as detailed as possible. It's easier to start strict and kind of be more lenient than to be lenient and then try to be strict later. This kind of reflects teaching in general, (laughs) if you think about it. You want to start off strict (laughs) and then lay off, not the other way around. Yeah. So as a new teacher working to build your studio, you will likely take on many young beginner students. And that was the case for me. What's interesting about having a collected group of beginners is that you can begin to see the patterns developing amongst them that are a result of your teaching. Right. Every student is unique and will develop in their own way, but there are certain characteristics that are kind of indicative of your teaching that you'll start to see across the board. It can really inform you what you're doing well and what you might need to change. This started becoming evident to me when I noticed a lot of my students were struggling with rhythm. At first, I thought it would just take more time to develop that sense of pulse, But when I would hear other teachers, beginner students playing, I didn't see these problems. So I realized I think it's me and my approach and I need to be a little bit more strict. Did you have any sort of realizations like this? Yeah, I did. Some of my students that I've noticed would neglect listening to the end of the way that they're shaping notes. So sometimes the ends of staccatos or the phrases would just cut off abruptly. Mm -hmm. And I realized it's because I paid more attention in teaching them how to listen and physically approach the beginning of a note and not really actually also talking about listening to how they're going to end the note. So now I try to maintain their focus on the beginning, the middle, and the end of the note. So how has your methods in teaching rhythm evolved? I think overall, I've become a lot more strict in creating really solid foundations of all the basic skills. Looking back, I think I was just not patient enough with my beginners, and this might be because I wanted them to advance more quickly so that we could work on more interesting music. Any teacher who has taught all beginners know it can be a little bit repetitive, a little bit mundane, going over the basics lesson after lesson. But I know now that I have to be more strict about counting rhythm precisely establishing that really strong sense of pulse. I've also realized rhythm is actually one of the more important skills because it's really evident when a student is lacking that sense of pulse, even to someone who doesn't know anything about music. Yeah, that's so true. And I feel the same way as you. I drill rhythm in so many different ways, whether it's getting them to move their bodies to a beat, writing in the counting, counting out loud, doing two-handed rhythms, showing rhythm and beat and practicing with them weekly. 
Another skill I've noticed that I need to start right from the beginning is the oral skills and training the inner ear. So with the very young students, I start with solfege from day one and we do sing and we do playbacks. When they practice, I encourage them to sing the rhythm, the finger numbers and the letter names or in solfege as they play. Wow, that's good. And they need that too. It's good practice. I still feel like I need to do more of these things, but honestly, I find it really tiring because I feel like the whole lesson I'm counting one, two, three, and you know, you have to do it with some enthusiasm and then I'm singing and I'm clapping and I'm like exhausted by the end. And then when I ask them to count out loud, they're like, oh, this is tiring. And actually I had a student last week that was like, I think to be a piano teacher, you need good lungs because it takes a lot to count. I was like, yes. It does. Thank you for noticing. (laughs) Thank you for acknowledging that. Yeah, it is. Like, I I know when I make my students sing the rhythm and then do the finger numbers and the letter names, it's tiring for me. It's tiring for them. And then they start to struggle because their brain just doesn't have enough RAM to like really read all that and, and do it. But when they practice, it makes them a lot more precise and they're playing a lot more accurate. So yeah, I I really get tired when I have like five young students in a row and they're all working on the same level and we're doing the same thing mentally and my voice gets tired too, especially in the morning. If it's like a 8 a.m. Saturday morning student, like I will be doing vocal exercises before yeah, I meet them. It's rough. <laughs> yeah, it's rough. <laughs> you know, some studios, I noticed they, they charge more if you're more advanced, but I feel like it takes just as much energy for the young beginners. So I never understood that. You know, I think charging for more for younger students makes more sense because not only do you have this like larger responsibility to develop a strong foundation, but it's just it's a different type of teaching and you have to be so much more em- It's a show. You yeah, have to put on a it's show. It's a performance. You have to be so much more embodied. I think we should charge when they're more when they're younger. That's all I'm saying. There you have it. Yeah. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Another thing I've changed in my teaching is my expectations for students. So I've always have and always will expect that they'll practice consistently and try their personal best. However, I think in the past, I've kind of projected my own hopes and aspirations onto each student and tried to push them in a direction that they maybe didn't want to go. For example, I had one student who has so much potential to be a really amazing pianist. In my opinion, it takes three things to be a really amazing pianist. And I don't think many people have all three. So for me, that's intelligence, discipline, and like kind of a natural talent and artistry, right? Yeah. So this student definitely has all three. And I I had so much hope for her. So once she started, I invited her to participate in competitions and do exams. And the family always said no. They stressed that music was just for fun. And they didn't have any like high expectations or goals for this child to achieve. At first, I was so sad because I felt like it was such a waste of potential. But then I remembered that the student is actually extremely gifted and she's very smart kind of in all areas. So she could probably succeed in anything she wanted to. Mm. So I can understand why her parents want her to have some things that are just for fun. Mm -hmm. And I also realized that it's not up to me to decide what role the music will play in each student's life. As long as they're enjoying it and progressing, I have to kind of respect everyone's personal goal. Like you, I also get very excited and I also want to push the gifted students and see where they are capable and also to show them that them that they're also capable of this higher level of playing. But again, like you also said, it's not up to us to decide on what music's role is in their life. And instead, we just need to guide and support and just nudge them along with the appropriate challenges along their musical journey. Yeah, I've also had to accept that not every student is going to learn at the same pace. Often I'd get a little frustrated when one student could learn something in a week, 
whereas another student took several weeks and many repetitions to grasp the exact same concept. I would get so flustered and angry, like why couldn't the student understand when the other one got it so quickly? But I've had to learn to accept that some students are just going to move slower, and that's okay. Yeah. And I have to adjust my expectation. Yeah, not every student is going to be gifted or a genius, but as long as they're progressing, that's what's most important. It's also important to remember that we are teaching private lessons, so we need to be aware and adjust the pacing of the lesson to each student. Absolutely. Regardless, though, I've also learned that it's okay to set expectations in my studio and stick to them. If a student's never practicing or showing up late or missing materials or not taking the lesson seriously, then it's okay to let them go to make room for another student. But as you said, as long as there's progress and consistency, that's fine. Absolutely. I've learned it's also important to surround yourself with positive, hardworking students because it makes the job so much more enjoyable and rewarding. Teaching students who do not want to be there or who are making little to no progress is extremely draining. It really is. Once I was lucky enough to have a full studio and a bit of a wait list, I began to slowly let go of students that sort of sucked the energy out of me. Mm-hmm. Gradually, I built up a studio of dedicated students with really great parents, and my life feels really a lot more stress-free now. This reminds me of a comment you made about being more picky about who you teach. So what are some of the things that you've become more picky about, and how has it helped you improve your job satisfaction? Well, I've become more selective on the types of students and parents that I want to work with. I've had a phase in my studio where I wanted students and parents who were high achieving. Now, during this time in my life, I want a more laid back studio of students and parents who don't stress me out, but still value and respect music lessons. So these are students who enjoy music and will want to practice, but they don't mind going at a more comfortable pace. They don't necessarily need to take exams or competitions. They just want to enjoy music for the sake of music. Yeah, I think curating your studio to a certain type of family also gets a little bit easier once you start getting new students via referral as opposed to from advertising. That's because they know specifically how your studio works and if you're the type of teacher that their friend or family member will be searching for. Okay, let's talk about an aspect of teaching that can affect a lot of teachers, which is burnout. Have you ever experienced teacher burnout and how did you know that you had gotten there? Oh, for sure. I think there will be a time that every teacher is going to experience some kind of burnout. In a way, without that experience, you'll never know your limit. So I experienced burnout in my first serious year of teaching. I had a full studio of over 40 students. I worked six days a week, plus two classroom-style theory classes. And these group classes were two hours each, back-to-back for a total of four hours, not including all the marking I would have to do the night before. Whoa. Yeah, it was crazy. I will never want to do that ever again. So while I had this opportunity to... be exposed to many types of students and hone my skills, I don't think, like I said, I would ever want to go back to that time. What about you? I've experienced it as well. And even now with the adjustments I've made, I usually start to feel it coming on right before the holidays in December. And sometimes in May or June, once the kids are sort of nearing the end of the school year and getting more tired and losing some momentum, I used to be really concerned about money and keeping my students progressing that I would teach through all the breaks like March break and avoid taking time off on like Canada Day or Victoria Day, Thanksgiving, things like that. Now I take a lot of breaks throughout the year. I found that students really need it and I really need it and we both come back stronger with better attitude and like ready to learn. 
Oh yes, please take breaks, please take vacation days. Your well-being and rest is more important than money. So you and I, Leanne, are the same. I was also concerned with income and keeping a high level of playing and dedication, and I would also avoid taking holidays. So you're right that both the teacher and the student need a break so that they can come back feeling refreshed. I think sometimes I also feel a little bit guilty. Like once in a while, I'm just really tired, not feeling it, and I want to cancel a few lessons. So I know once I texted you, I was like, should I cancel? <laughs> I feel bad. And you're like, do it. You need. You should rest. And then I did it. So thank you for You're welcome. Well, think me. about this way. In the corporate world, they have health days. They have mental health days. They've got sick days. Like we should be able to take those too. That's true. You also mentioned that now you teach less hours. So how did you know it was time to reduce your hours and what do you think is your current personal limit? I think everyone will learn their limit in some way or another and my sign was that I was finding myself feeling unfulfilled and stressed with the amount of teaching. I didn't have time for myself and I would shut down at the end of each teaching week. So as we were discussing earlier, I now teach about four days a week but it's from Wednesday to Saturday and once Saturday hits and I'm done all my lessons, I... I, I still have a little bit of a shutdown, but I basically need like a two to three hour nap right after my last lesson. Otherwise, like you said, I get a little snappy. I can't de-stress and I just feel all like mopey and I need like a day or so of recovery. Mm-hmm. Back with my old schedule where I did six times a week, it would take me about one to two days to recover. And that would mean like I wouldn't speak to anyone. I just wanted to be alone. I just needed to sleep. Like I just needed to recharge. And then unfortunately, by the time I had my one to do days to recover I had to teach again when I felt like I was a hamster running on like an endless wheel was the time I knew I need to make a change for a healthier work-life balance so nowadays I teach about 20 students instead of like a 40 okay and I know you're a little bit more of a introverted personality right so probably teaching is very tiring for you yeah definitely I think for extroverts it might be a little bit easier I think about four and a half hours a day is my limit and after that I'm not really able to be patient or as kind or helpful to my students. I think if we focus on fewer hours but more high quality teaching we can end up charging a bit more so it's kind of a win-win. I also had a time where I was working six days a week and even though one of the days was a little bit shorter I still feel like I really was missing those two consecutive days off. Even still I sometimes have a hard time unwinding after a week of teaching. One thing that I've also found to be really helpful is since we are self-employed and we get to make our own schedules, it can be a good idea to try to schedule your students in a way that doesn't completely drain you. So for example, don't put your most draining student as the last student of your day. I do that already on, on you know, end of the days. I need to have a really strong student for sure. Yeah, just to just boost that up or like don't put all your draining students in one day. Yeah, But yeah, sometimes you can be strategic with how you organize your schedule so that it doesn't drain you. I used to do like um, one student that would drain me followed by a student that doesn't. And I would kind of alternate back and forth. That was that was helpful. Yes. But ideally, hopefully you'll build up enough of the good students that don't drain you and then it's less of an issue. Oh, definitely. The end of the day, I think this just reinforces how important it is to take proper breaks so that we can be the best version of ourselves. Looking ahead into the future, are there any changes you would like to make in your teaching moving forward? I would love to implement more improvisation and composition. This is something that I've always wanted to do since I felt it was a piece of my music education that was missing. I can play Beethoven sonatas and Chopin ballades, but I can't improvise very well over chord progression. 
I understand the concept of it, but I'm not sure how to introduce it to my students in a pedagogically sound way with logical sequencing. I also find it very difficult to incorporate these things since our time with each student is already really limited. Even with a one hour lesson, there's only so much I can do. So I hope to find a way I can make this a part of lessons more consistently. I've also considered starting an enriched program with my more dedicated students. So in this program, they would continue with their usual weekly lessons, but then we'd have a gathering once a month, maybe to learn music theory, music history, to play for each other, things like that. What about you? Is there anything that you want to add or change going forward? Before I go into my things that I want to change, I totally hear you about not having enough time in lessons. Even with an hour lesson, even if you wanted to incorporate like the composing or the improvising, there's the pieces, there's the scales, there's the technique, there's the ear training that I wish students would take longer lessons, not because I want to be paid more necessarily, but it's just so much to pack into one lesson. In Europe, I know like they have such a different approach to music learning, like where they, they take it really seriously, right? It's not like an extracurricular. So if you're going to learn an instrument, you're going every day after school for three, four hours of training, right? So that's like what it takes basically to cover, you know, a holistic every part of, of music learning. Like an hour a week, you're right. It's just, it's not enough. It's not enough. You end up touching on every subject so minimally that nothing really happens. Yeah. For me, I'm more interested in changing the demographic of my studio to having more mature and potentially international students online because I'd like to experience working with more advanced pianists, more advanced music, while also filling in my morning hours. So I think having international students online would be a good route to widen my reach. Sure, that's a really good idea. And yeah, we always want to find ways to fill those daytime hours, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think today's discussion was a good indication that schooling and a university degree cannot prepare us entirely for teaching. It is only with that real-life experience that we learn how to refine and hone our skills and develop into better teachers. We hope you enjoyed today's discussion. What changes have you made in your own teaching over the years? How has experience shaped your approach? Let us know in the comments below. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe for more great podcasts. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and online at teachmusically.com. Until next time, happy teaching!